Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, I suppose it had to happen. Someone had to do it. But who knew he was going to be one of the most senior judicial figures in the European Union? In the last hour, the European Court of Justice Advocate General Campos Sanchez Bordona has thrown a hand grenade into the Brexit process by saying the UK can unilaterally revoke Article 50 and effectively halt the entire thing. Naturally, the Romanians have grabbed onto this surprise proposition like a drowning man clinging on to a life raft, pointing out that here finally is the proof that Brexit it needn't happen, that it shouldn't happen, and that we can stop it happening. Despite the fact that there was a referendum, despite the fact that the majority of people voted to leave the European Union, they say this guy proves that we don't have to do it. It's the latest twist in the saga that began yesterday uh, with the Attorney General both impressing and annoying Parliament and giving his view on why we don't need to see the full text of the legal advice given to Theresa May and her team over our departure from the EU, uh, which is less than four months away. As we predicted yesterday, we will see claim and counterclaim this week. We will see predictions of doom and of gloom, but we didn't expect this. What does it all mean? We'll try and figure it out for you. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on in the show, we'll be finding out why the tax authorities are getting it so wrong when it comes to dealing with the public, why a quarter of people will take the day off work after the office Christmas party, and why the North-South divide is actually a lot worse than you thought. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it was not more than an hour or so ago uh, where we suddenly got the uh, piece of fl- uh, flying up, flagging up on the uh, on our news screens here. Breaking news. European Court of Justice Advocate General says the UK can unilaterally revoke Article 50 to leave the European Union. Now, until this moment, I had not heard of Campos Sanchez Bordogna. Uh, I'll be bringing you some news on him, what he's done with his life, where he has come from, what he has said in the past, what sort of decisions he's made, where his uh, sort of allegiances lie, if you like. But if, in fact, the European Court of justice is so sure that we can just break the law of uh, any unilateral means that we have by the way we also voted on this we had a referendum on it you know we had democracy in action if they're basically saying to us we don't have to worry about that uh, we can do whatever we like then presumably we can just walk away from the european union without any sort of deal as well if we want to let's talk to francis grove white who's deputy director of open britain and see uh, whether we can make sense of what has actually happened here this morning francis a very good morning to you 
Morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, it's a very strange, uh, strangely timed uh, sort of intervention, this, isn't it, by uh, the European Court of Justice Advocate General? I mean, if, he, if this was the case, why has he not said it before? Well, look, a lot of people have said similar things in the past. You've had leaders of most of, or quite a number of EU member states. You've had Donald Tusk. You've had Emmanuel Macron saying that if the UK were to change its mind before the end of the Article 50 process, then, of course, we could stay in the EU. And that seems a perfectly reasonable uh, thing, given that we've not actually left yet. And until we leave, we remain a member state with all the rights and obligations of a member state. And so if the UK public chose to take a different view, for example, through a people's vote, at the end of this process. I'd really rather you didn't refer to it as a people. I'd rather you didn't refer to it as a people's vote on this show, Francis. Just call it a second referendum and let's uh, keep call it what it is because it's not any more of a people's vote than the last people's vote, to be honest. Okay, well, we could call it a third referendum after the one in 1975. If you want, if you like, I'd prefer that as well. That's fine. But the point is, I mean, this the reason this is happening now is because uh, there's been a cross-party group, I believe uh, Scottish MPs, who brought this legal action and it happens to be coinciding now uh, with this whole shambles that we're seeing unfolding before us in parliament where the government is trying to pretend uh, still that the choice really on offer is between the government's deal which uh, i think probably you'll agree is a deal that satisfies no one and solves nothing and certainly doesn't deliver on the promises that were made in 2016 or crashing out with no deal with all the damage that that could do and i think what this uh, verdict let's be uh, sorry let's let's be clear this is advice from uh, a senior advisor to the european court of justice it's not a ruling it's not a final verdict but what this suggests is that as most of us uh, on my side of the argument have long said um, that it's you know, there is a third option. We can still choose to keep the existing deal we've got in the EU. Uh, well, we can't, though, Francis. Well, well, we can't, though, because we've had a referendum and the majority of people that voted in that referendum voted to leave the European Union. So it's not true to say that we have the option of re- remaining in it because we've already voted to leave it. Well, look, I... Uh, is that, I isn't think, that the case, though? I think, the way the case? You, I, I think the way this would play out, obviously, is you would have another referendum. You would have a referendum on the terms of Brexit at the end of this process. I I, I don't think Parliament could simply just stop Brexit from happening. I think you would need a mandate from the people. And I think, actually, if you look at the way things are panning out in Parliament, we've got complete gridlock. There is no majority in Parliament for any particular form of Brexit. And it seems but, to me the, one the most place... likely route out of that mess is to put it back to the people. Yeah, Let but the them one make place, the Francis, I mean, we've always known that Parliament is pretty much full of people who don't want to leave the European Union. Even those MPs who represent their own constituencies that have voted to leave are still very sort of soft on the whole idea of it. And they'd rather we weren't leaving. And I don't think Theresa May particularly wants to leave the European Union either, uh, which is why I've always said since the beginning of the result of the referendum that I don't think it will actually happen. I think they'll continue to sort of, you know, filibuster and, and put it off and, you know, kick it into the long grass for as long as they possibly can. However, uh, the only place where there is a majority of feeling for leaving the European Union is in the great British public who have voted already in a referendum 
call it whatever you like, uh, where they said we want to leave the European Union. Now, it doesn't really matter to me whether we have another referendum, which will then be more specific, because you can't be that specific in a referendum anyway. You know, there is nobody in this country that actually agrees with the person next to them about how Brexit should happen. But that's not really the point. The point is, is there are a large enough body of people who want to leave. And so that, that mandate has already been determined, surely. Well, look, I, th I think the first point to say is just, just on your first point about parliament being you know packed with people who want to remain we've had more than two and a half years now since the referendum about two and a half years since the referendum mm -hmm. we've had both the governing party the conservatives <clears throat> they're effectively coalition partners the dup uh, the the opposition party the labor party have all been committed to delivering brexit and so I think to claim that Parliament has been trying to thwart Brexit since day one well, it has. Is, is simply not true. No, and it is true. The, the, the you really seriously believe, do you, Francis, do you really seriously believe that Theresa May and her cabinet of largely Remainer types has actually been, in your words, committed to anything? Well, I mean, are you telling me that she's not committed no, to she's getting not. her deal through? Of course she's we, not. Do you think she'd rather... I mean, I just, I just completely disagree with that. She's staked her entire political career on getting that deal through. I think it's absurd to suggest... Well, I think you're trying, being very naive, trying Francis. ...trying in a sort of... I think you're being no, way to I, think, I think you're no, very I think you're being very naive and I, I don't think expect... you're being very conspiratorial I think that's just a ridiculous thing to say okay so look, well all right well so when the European Union comes up on Friday and says uh, well don't worry if you can't make the deadline on March 29th we'll give you a three-month extension uh, I think that will happen first of all and uh, number two if it does happen uh, that will prove the point and prove the case that actually this is exactly what will happen for the next several months and possibly years to come. Well, perhaps what that means is that the Brexit that she is trying to deliver and the, the various commitments that were made during the referendum cannot be delivered. There, there were a host of contradictory promises. She, look, she's done her best. I, like, I, I, I believe that. I think she. That, I think she has. I think she's she done has. Her best with a <laughs> playing a ridiculously poor hand, where she was, you know, Leave campaigners promised. For a start, we would have the exact same benefits when we left the EU. Liam Fox said this should be the easiest trade agreement in human history. Uh, we were told we were going to have extra money for the NHS, for all our public services. And, and she uh, has promised get, us all of that. Right? And, and we wouldn't pay a penny to the EU. And we could carry on trading with the EU on the exact same terms. Now, that is simply not true. And so the, the chaos that we're seeing in Parliament now is a product of the fact that that Brexit cannot be delivered. And like I said, Theresa May's done her best. She's come back with a deal. I think it's arguably, you know, the best she could have got given the circumstances. But it just turns out that it's a really bad deal and it's not what was promised. And it's certainly not better than what we've got but surely, in the EU. But surely, Francis, and you and your like organisation... Raab have admitted that. Yeah, but Francis, you surely uh, should be able to see, as the Deputy Director of Open Britain, that this is actually not a bad deal for those of you who want to remain in the European Union. Because one of the reasons that she's getting so much criticism in Parliament from those who would like to leave uh, Brexit with a bit of a harder edge to it uh, is because it's actually quite a soft Brexit. And it means that for a few years to come, we will really have a similar relationship with the European Union that we have now so i don't understand why why remainers don't like the deal because it well as i said because it is significantly worse than what we've got now and it would turn us into effectively a country that follows all the rules made by the eu 
uh, but just give up our very powerful, influential seat at the table as can you tell me? Because people say this, people say this all the time. Can you say? Can you tell me or give me one example, Francis, of when we have used our very powerful seat at the table to negotiate a better deal from the European Union than the one that they gave us? Because I can't. Look, we've been when have a we ever done anything? Powerful voice at the table since. Uh, we joined the European no, Union no, in I the disagree. 1970s. I disagree. We to build the single market, which is the largest free trade that's area a, that's in the world. Total shibboleth. It is about free trade. We've yeah, created that's... the rules of a of the biggest single market yeah, but that's in not the world. Change, but that doesn't have to change. It doesn't need to change. It probably won't change because, as we've often heard, all of the people with whom we do trade are more than happy to keep that trade going. They don't want it to stop. They don't want it to suddenly become more expensive to trade with the UK. And neither do they want to buy things from the UK which will cost more money. So none of that is going to change. And so that is an absolute and utter nonsense to say that. And secondly, we couldn't even protect our own fishing rights with this so-called powerful seat of the European Union table. So what was the point of it? Well, look, I mean, I, I find the idea that we've not been a influential... Well, you haven't given me an example of what we've politics. done. You haven't given me an example. Well, I've, uh, we created the single market, which is the biggest free trade area in the world. We brought so in is that it? Country, we brought in countries from the former Soviet Union. That yeah, that was a bad idea, under wasn't it? Authoritarianism well, that was a ridiculous idea. We failed to stop the war in the Balkans from happening after we did that as well. Well, I mean, look, if you if you can really tell me that you think we're going to be more influential in Europe or the wider world outside of the EU, then, I mean... Well, we're still, I, I, I just, believe, I, I still, I believe we're still a member of the United Nations Security Council, are we not? And we'll still continue to be so because we were part of that before the European Union. We are not we an influential... That, I mean, we are not an influential part... irrelevant point. Why is it an irrelevant point? You just said we're not influential. We're on the UN Security Council. There's only five countries on we'll it. We'll be less influential if we leave the no, EU, we which... Why yeah, would we be? I mean, uh, well, let, let, I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree there. But I, I put the question back to you. Mm. Do you think that this is a Brexit deal... Uh, that is good for our country and that will, you know, that will make our country more prosperous in the future. I have no idea and neither do you, Francis. I, I honestly don't know because nobody knows. And in fact, everyone that tries to predict whether it's good or bad is absolutely barking up the wrong tree, misleading the public and being totally disingenuous to those people who voted to leave the European Union. What I do know is that we have voted to leave. Therefore, we should leave. Now, if this is the only deal that Theresa May can currently get, which is what she tells us, then we should go for it on the basis that that is what the people want. And if you are so arrogant that you think you can stand up against that side of democracy and say, no, this should never happen because it's a bad idea, then I'm sorry you don't like it, but it's none of your business to stop it. Well, I think uh, if you look at poll after poll that's emerging about the deal that's on the I don't table, care about polls. What, polls got everything what, wrong. Polls said Hillary Clinton was going to win the, the presidential the race. Of people who think that this is a good deal and something that we should accept. I and didn't say now, it was a good deal, Francis, did I? And it's co- contrary to what you said, the, the will of the people is not a static thing and democracy is not okay. that ended on so the you just want to keep going until you win i mean there's no evidence for example if there was to be a second referendum or a third as you call it uh, that you would win it anyway well there's over i mean we've there really isn't dozens of polls over the last six months showing a lead <laughs> remain of between yeah, right. seven and eight points yeah. 
dozens of polls, right? The last you can. No, dozens I mean, of polls said that Remain was going to win the last referendum, and they were wrong, weren't they? Well, actually, going into the campaign, things were about level pegging, and they finished fairly close to level pegging. I think no, it's they, pretty they, pathetic that all you've got to cling on to as a life raft is a few polls, Francis. Is that all the best well, you've think, got? I think all you, what you're clinging on to is the fact no, that... No, I'm clinging on to the fact a, that the a, vote a, was a, to a leave. Vote was taken more than two and a half years ago. Right the outcome of which has not been in any way delivered or fulfilled by the deal on the table. And public opinion is now shifting. And you think that the public should just be completely written out of the process. And that a No, the public have voted, Francis. How can you be so just, ridiculous? The public well, have already I mean, what voted. What is your solution to the problem in Parliament? How are you going to get the deal through? Or is your view that we should just crash out with no deal? Well, the point about parliamentary democracy, Francis, is that they have a vote. When they have a vote, I'll tell you how we should proceed. If the vote goes wrong for Theresa May next Tuesday, uh, then she will have another vote. And my belief is, is that she will somehow, by hook or by crook, get that vote through. Because at the end of the day, we have to move on. We cannot sit here like spoiled children for the rest of time, shaking our little fists, crying out and saying, this is not fair. It's not fair. I don't like it. You know, in the end, Francis, you have to accept that the people have spoken and they have voted to leave the European Union. And that's the end of that. OK, well, look, I, re- I respect your view. You think that democracy is static and that people aren't no, allowed I don't. to change their minds. No, I don't you think also, it's static. I mean, it's, I just I find the view that, you know, in a, in a situation in which there is no majority for anything in Parliament, I mean, your, your hook or by crook, as you say, she will get it through. Personally, I don't see that at the moment. I really don't. Okay. Well, neither one of us has got a crystal ball. He's going to get that through Parliament. Uh, who, where the votes are going to come from, which members of the Jacob Rees-Mogg's ERG are going to suddenly, or the DUP, are suddenly going to row in behind the deal, then fine, you can say that. But until you can explain where those votes are going to come from, just saying by hook or by crook is literally like licking your finger and putting it in the air and saying, I think, you know, right. it's just absurd. And, and, for you to say, and for you to say anything different is the same. My point is, we don't, none of us have a crystal ball. Many, many pundits have got this spectacularly wrong over every single uh, step of the way. Nobody, apparently, despite the fact that everybody's got their eyes trained on Downing Street and Brussels, knew that the deal was even coming a couple of weeks ago. It kind of, kind of came out of the blue. Nobody saw that. Nobody had an idea of what Theresa May was doing behind the scenes. Nobody had a clue uh, about how it was all going to work out. So you are, uh, uh, you know, just as kind of ignorant as I am about what the future is likely to hold. We don't know. So let's see no. what happens. And when and if the, the vote is, is, uh, is lost next week, let's have another conversation and see where we go from there. But, you know, at the moment, all I know is that democracy is not static at all, but you cannot ignore it just when you feel like ignoring it. You have to admit that you lost the vote. Therefore, you know, you have to, I, you have to give those who won the vote the time to actually do what the vote says. I completely accept all that. And look, there's been, like I said, there's been two and a half years of a negotiation with the European Union where the government has tried its utmost. I think we agreed on that earlier. This is, it's not that the government has not tried to get a good deal. They've tried everything. And this is what they've come back with. It seems to be universally unpopular, although there are some, I, I, you know, I accept, like you, who say, yes, it's not a good deal, but we should accept it anyway. Yeah. I think that that's not a, you know, it's not a very uh, optimistic or sort of hopeful vision for our country is, you know, saying this is a bad deal, but we should just swallow it anyway. 
Um, well, if you believe in democracy and leaving think... the EU, you should swallow it, because that's the point. We're leaving the EU. At what cost? I mean, well, I don't know. Neither do you, of... Francis. Well, OK, but look, we may well be leaving the EU. As things stand, we are on course to leave the EU. Yeah. My, uh, the problem I have is that we're heading for a situation where Parliament cannot resolve this, and there is no outcome, there is no deal on the table apart from the one the government has produced for which there is no... Yeah. Majority in Parliament. So but listen, default, listen, this is a fascinating conversation. I'm afraid we're running out of time for us. I'm going to have to say one last thing to you, right? If they can't resolve it, then that's not their problem in the end, because in the end, we've already solved it by having a referendum. It's not up well, to... It's only, it's only Parliament that have suddenly come in at the end and decided they want to ratify it. And because of Theresa May's ineptitude, she's allowed them to do so. That doesn't mean that because they can't figure it out, that it won't actually happen. Well, I disagree. I think Parliament has a duty and a responsibility to deliver what they've been instructed to do, and that's what they're trying to do well, at to the leave moment. the European Union. If it turns out they're not able to do that in a way that doesn't fundamentally damage our economy, potentially lead to stockpiling of medicines and all kinds of things that certainly oh, were not on the ballot paper yeah, in 2016. Let's not go for the The public we? should have a say over it. I think the We've public had a say. absolutely appalled. <laughs> We've had a say. Let me ask you one final question, Francis. When, and uh, it will happen, believe me, we do leave the European Union, you'll have to go and get a proper job, won't you? What are you going to do? (laughs) I've uh, I've not thought that far ahead. I'm focused at the moment on making Ah. sure uh, we get a people's vote. Okay. Don't call it that. You can't call it that. I can't call it a people's vote. No. Why, why is that? I've told you at the start of the show. I think the, every the member of the public should be allowed to say... Yeah, we've already had it, Francis. Future. We had it two and a half years ago. There was a referendum. You seem to have forgotten. Thank you very much indeed. Francis Grove White, Deputy Director of something called Open Britain. I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, and I'm not quite sure how long Open Britain will be open for business for. Because when we do leave the European Union, Open Britain will become redundant. We want to hear from you on this. 0344 499 1000. Doesn't that just sum up the absolute obstinacy and arrogance of the Ramonas. This is Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. If you've been hounded by the tax man, you'll know how ghastly and awful that is. Uh, we'd love to hear your stories. Also, a lot of you still want to talk uh, about this intervention by the European Justice uh, Chief, a guy called Manuel Campos Sanchez Bordogna, uh, who's basically said that we can forget about Article 50 and just stay in the European Union after all. Don't have to change any laws. Just ignore the referendum and it'll be fine. Uh, here's a tweet from Paul at Talk Radio. Public opinion has not shifted. It's hardened on both sides. I actually think more have seen the way the EU and the Remainers are treating democracy and would now vote leave. Uh, here's one from Papa who says, I'm a Remainer, but some people on my side of the vote do have a level of cognitive dissonance to the level of Norman Bates. And uh, Neil says, unless you have time machine, you, me and the economists cannot say with certainty what will happen to our economy, good, bad or the same. I'd rather go with the facts that since we voted to leave, the doom-laden predictors were all completely wrong. And that's very true. Uh, our guest who was on in the first hour was telling me all about how polls are now showing uh, that a new vote would actually mean that we would remain in the European Union. Well, I don't give a stuff what the polls are showing because the polls are inevitably wrong, I'm afraid. Uh, let's go to Mark, who's in Castleford. Hello, Mark. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, sir. What would you like to say? Well, just just to pick up on what the chap from Open Britain said. Yeah. And if he ever wants to know why uh, people are so disaffected with the European Union, let me just briefly enlighten him. Yeah. Today we've had a ruling saying we are free to unilaterally rip up Article 50. No problem at all. They will allow us to go our own way and vote to remain. Yeah. We can unilaterally do that. However, we are not allowed unilaterally to opt out of the back the backstop agreement. Mm. So on the one hand, they're saying, yes, oh, you can, go, you can do what you want. And on the other hand, they're saying, oh, no, you couldn't possibly do that unilaterally. You right. can't possibly do that on their own. And in both cases, it works for Europe. And that's why people get so disaffected with Europe. On the one hand, they're saying one thing. And on, completely on the other hand, they're saying completely the yeah. opposite. But it's like the same as these people who are arguing, as, as our first guest was this morning, uh, the bloke from Open Britain, as we were saying, Francis Grove White. He's like, oh, you know, democracy's not static. Well, in that case, why bother having an election? You might as well not not bother. I mean, the idea that, you know, somehow we have to give the right of a reply or the right to vote for people who were too young to vote the last time around who are all whinging on about how we've ruined their future, you know. And then what about the 15-year-olds that are, you know, 15 in five years and the 15-year-olds that are 15 in 10 years and 20 years? I mean, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? Oh, it's a, it's a nonsense, Mike. The thing is, what happened is so many of the young people didn't vote. That, that, that was the crux of yes. it. Had they got off the backside and voted, then it probably would have been different. And the thing, just to pick up on what Francis said, what he needs to understand is that when we went, we initially went into Europe in 1971, then yeah. we had a referendum. Mm. That was a completely different Europe. It was called the e European Economic Community. Yes. We went in with Denmark and Ireland and it was essentially a free trade area with none of the bells and whistles on. Right. And I think that's what most people would be happy with. Sure. Because when we when we voted to go in, it's not the Europe we've got now. Mm. It, it, it is, I can remember, you know, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm basically of your age, and you was a different being in the 70s and of 80s. Of course it was. And people, and, and, and people were perfectly happy with that. It's Europe that's changed in many ways, not not the, the general public. Oh, for sure. And there's no doubt that there are plenty of people running Europe, like Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron, who would love it to become this kind of federal European state, whereby every country is like a sort of a small part of, of a greater whole. And that's not what we signed up for. And that's not 
not what we want, and it is certainly not what the majority of people who voted in the referendum want. And so, therefore, you know, I think you're absolutely right, Mark. You know, they, it's all very well for them to say, oh, oh, you can just uh, opt out of this bit here and opt into that bit there. And also this rubbish about the single market uh, that he was going on about, how we helped create the single market. Well, the single market will still exist. It's just that Britain won't be in it. Doesn't mean we can't then negotiate with the single market which is left, and they can negotiate with us. So what's the difference? No, and, and I think, Mike, and, and when they say about the agreement that Theresa May um, has, has brought to Parliament, yeah. in fairness, that was negotiated by people who weren't essentially pro-Brexit. That right. was negotiated by a, a lot of basically pro-European yeah. people. So you get so that's why we've got such a stitch up of a deal. Mm. It, that that really no nobody can fought for. I'm I'm bewildered by the younger generation. I really am sometimes by this beautiful vision that they've got of Europe and 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 had they lived through it and and seen the changes that yeah. we've seen. You do see it's become far far more of a statist, as you say, centralising bureaucracy. None of that was there when we joined. None of it. Oh, and also, way, yeah, and also when we were having all these problems with the fishing uh, the fishing fleets and the cod wars and all of that stuff, where people were basically poaching fish from our waters you know where were all these remainers standing up and saying how great europe was i don't remember any of them saying anything at the time oh yeah and, and mike listen the, the biggest travesty is where was europe during all the troubles in ireland well indeed they, they were they were nowhere to be seen then yeah. all of a sudden they come out of the you know they come out as as, as, as so pro-island and yeah. then you can't you think well when when people were leaving bombs in pubs and when all the, yeah. the troubles were going on you you were nowhere to be seen no that's all we didn't hear one one piece yeah. you may also wish in europe. you may also wish to cast your mind back to the sale of certain exocet missiles by the french to the argentinians so they could blow up british sailors yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know. No, no. I mean, Thanks it, anyway. It, no problem, Mike. You take care. No problem at all. Mark in Castleford there. I wasn't actually saying thanks anyway to you. I was saying thanks anyway to the French uh, in a sort of ironic type of way. But never mind. Very good call from Mark. We could take lots more of those. 0344 499 1000. Some of you, on the other hand, uh, may agree with Francis Grove White, Deputy Director of Open Britain, that the European Union is the greatest thing since sliced bread uh, or indeed a baguette. But do let us know uh, if you disagree with me. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm joined now today, though, uh, by two very salubrious characters uh, by the name of Lamb, a Mr George and a Mr Larry Lamb, sitting in front of me. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, To the Independent Republic. We're going to talk about ancestry. Uh, I'm looking at you both, and I'm seeing a lot of family resemblance, which is kind of interesting, because you're like an older, just an older version of him. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know he's your dad. It's funny, though. I have read the the script. He's my son as well, yeah. Yeah. And you're still speaking to each other after all these years, which is very helpful. But you're also both kind of in the same business as well, aren't you? Yeah. You're both, you know, you speak for a living, you appear on television, you're an actor, you're a sort of broadcaster. In fact, you've done shows at TalkSport, I I haven't you? I I seem to remember a few years back. It's very tough. It's not easy When there's no music, it's very tough. Well, mate. you know, I used to do the overnight show there with uh, with no guests. Wow. And just oh, no. Callers. It was great. Five hours on my own. Tremendous. Which is why people say to me here, do you ever worry about drying up? Like, nope. 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 Not at <laughs> all. I've got plenty to say. And, just, uh, get the, just get the newspaper just and get, read it, right? Exactly. Just take, say a few provocative things and away you go. So That's so right. you're doing this ancestry study, right? What made you do it? What was, uh, what was Really, the... funnily enough, it was getting done by who do you think you are. Right, OK. I mean, I've always been interested in, you know, in history yeah. and in the family history. But and my granddad used to go on about, you know, the name Lamb. And sure. we lived in Edmonton. Right. Because there, there's a Lamb Institute in right. Edmonton. Oh, is there? Yeah. And it's it's all about the Lamb, Charles Lamb and Mary Lamb. But okay. he was the poet, right? OK. So nothing. my grandfather said, well, we're related to Charles Lamb. So it's nothing to do with the Lamb... 
sheep type lamb mm, well, you never know right you never know that's what we're hoping to find when we do and we've done the uh, the thing with ancestry uk we've uh-huh. done the uh, we've done the uh, the tests right. right the genetic test right but that's where i want to know where i really come from sure you know what i mean i yeah. want to know what and so do me. a lot of people right that's it because we had a story not that long i think it was last week where uh, we had some vegans upset by a little town in dorset called wool that's and it turned right. out that it had nothing to do with wool from a sheep. But they were like, oh, we can't call it that. We must call it something else. And in fact, it's sort of an old English term for something completely different. And so some of the names like lamb and, and I guess, you know, old-fashioned English names that that we that I can't think of at the moment. Well, mine, you know, mine's Graham, right? My, my, my ancestors are all Scottish. Yeah. Uh, and I've looked back into the sort of the clan Graham. There's two of them. One from a place called Montrose, one from Monteith. My family's right. all from Montrose. All from oh, there you go. East Coasters. Well, I think mine and Monteith, but I'm not sure because I keep there's there's a, there's a series of robber Grahams apparently used to basically live near the border. Yeah, we went to Monteith. It's near Loch Lomond. It's the yeah. only place in Scotland which has got a lake around the loch. The lake, yeah, so yes. we went, Lake we, Monteith. Dad, yeah. That's right. That's the we one we went, went on to. We went onto it with the yeah. Dazzigan. Yeah, it's really? got like a monastery I, or something. Yeah, that's right. We went out there. Fabulous. Oh, it's very cool. What's, very his, cool. what's very his name, cool. that little dude? I can't remember. He's great. There's an amazing <laughs> historian who took oh, us really? out on there. If you yeah, ever you go, go on a oh, boat okay. with him and he I'll gives you the complete rundown there. on yeah. it. It's Brilliant. fabulous. So I'm either related and to the ones who were basically the robber barons who would go, they would sort of ride horses into Northumberland, steal everything from the castle yeah. and go back, Yeah. which I wouldn't mind being part of. Right. Uh, or there's the more kind of sort of noblemen who I think were part of the Monteith sort of island. So we're, we're about to find out through doing this whole thing with Ancestry. Okay. If indeed, on my my, uh, my mother's side, the story is true, that apparently there was a, a shipwreck of Spanish sailors right. off the coast of Montrose, and they settled there. Right. And that's why I've got this kind of swarthy complexion. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so your mother's Spanish then? Well, that's what she. That's what or my great-granddad reckoned. <laughs> right. You wouldn't want to say that to her. She's full-on <laughs> serious Scots, is she? I'll tell you. Yeah. And don't start ever talking about English. I'm not English! Well, I'm not even going to ask you whether she's Rangers or Celtic in that case. because no, otherwise no, wrong that'll, side. That'll always no, go the wrong, wrong way. Side of the but country. I mean, isn't that interesting as well, though, that we talk so much in this day and age about immigration and we talk about, you know, shutting it down and making yeah. sure that... And in fact, I mean, as I, was, yeah, I, lived in, I, lived, I lived in New York for 10 years and that, that was what everybody said there. Everybody here's from somewhere else. Yeah. Nobody's from here originally. No, exactly. I mean, you know, That's the what Normans I want to find came. out. Yeah, exactly. And, and I want to be, I want to be a, I want one of the weird cavemen that started <laughs> off here and then it's find out who they were that they yeah. bred with all these right. 2,000 years. It is fascinating. And how is it actually scientifically done? Is it is it a kind of DNA type you, search? Yeah, exactly. You, you, you spit into a bottle and okay. then they take it and then you put a, rea- a reacting agent in there with it, right. send it to them. This is. I was hoping we would have it by now, but it takes a lot longer. It takes about a month or so okay. to get the results. Right. So I, I can't wait. I was twenty billion got... searches. Yeah. Wow. It. You know, and they've, there's been over a hundred million family trees come uh-huh. through ancestry. Right. And do you have sort of uh, like um, I guess a lot of people would have lots of relatives overseas as well that you can track. Yeah, well, the, that's the idea. You can go world like worldwide with right. it and link into family trees of people all ra- all around yeah. the world. Because I've got an uncle who was in um, the air sea rescue or something during the Second World War, who I only met once, but then he suddenly disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to him, except that they think he might have gone to Southeast Asia somewhere and sort of set up house with somebody. But nobody's yeah. ever heard from him for like 60 years. Get yourself on Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com is the place. We, we can find .co.uk, out. .co.uk, actually. Okay, okay. So either or. Either or. Also, I was fascinated by the bit in, in uh, the piece I was reading about this where people will sit down for Christmas dinner with, with some of their relatives and they won't actually even know, for example, where granny was born no that's amazing i know why wouldn't they talk about that i know but don't you find that in actual fact this this huge 
this the influence of screens and the availability of information yeah. makes people nowadays youngsters less likely to want to ask, ask any questions right. they know if they need to know anything go and press a button somewhere sure. yeah so they don't you don't sit around having chats mm. and if you do say you're boring on about something yeah, he's right. boring on about that right not boring on it's like all everything i know got passed on to me all yes. of a sudden there's a kind of a line drawn mm. you don't get passed on right. anymore no it's sad isn't it, it so aside sad. from george from you finding out about the the, the, the spanish possible connection yeah have you have you found anything else out that surprised you so far or are you still waiting for all the sort of results to come I mean, when, when uh, we're still waiting for the results, but when Dad did, who do you think you are? You know, we thought Dad was the first one in the family to be a showman. Right. Uh, and it turns out that we're from a long line of lion tamers. Okay. Our great, great, great grandfather <laughs> was called uh, Martini Bartlett, the okay. Lion King. Brilliant. And he was the number one lion tamer in, in the UK. Right. Yeah. That's great. I know. It? So That's it's in like, there. It's in the lineage. I always, I always thought I'd kind of like, you know, I'd bounced in on the party. Yeah. Know. You know, I'd yeah. gate crashed into show business. Sure. I never understood why I was in it. Yeah. Did that. I was like, I think, right. I've so got now every you right know. to be here. You're right. Yeah. But isn't it funny as well where you look at, I mean, I've got loads of cousins, for example, in Scotland that I don't really know very well because yeah. I come from, my, my mother was a Catholic, my father was a Protestant, so they moved to London to get away from what was then termed a mixed marriage, you know, it was all yeah. very scandalous. <laughs> and, uh, but they all had loads of kids, you know, so their brothers and sisters were seven or eight in number, and they all had about seven or eight kids, you know, so there's sort of hundreds of these people yeah. who I've never met, no. you know, and I wonder to myself, and my father used to say to me, you know, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your relatives, yeah. and he was never a great one for, for hanging about with his <laughs> relatives, you know. Um, and I just wonder whether any of them are like me or whether they are similar to me in any yeah. way. Or There's only we... one answer. Only one well, answer. Tell me. Ancestry.co.uk. <laughs> You're very good at this. You are very good They're at very this. very good so, at it. It is. And I mean, is it something that everybody can easily do? I mean, there's no barriers to finding no, out where no. you come from, right? No. And it goes on. You can link into further air. See, for me, I can't get enough of it. Some people <laughs> don't really want to know. Right. Some people that do who do you think you are right. are kind of hit bad by mm. what they discover you see it, a lot of it on tv where people kind of break down don't they I they know. see something that's happened and they can't but believe it there's nothing you can do about the past so no. we'll get upset about it you no. know it might not be what you want right you know i'd much rather find out i'm the direct you know the direct the direct descendant of like well it's, know, it's, like, it's like when you get Russian these people prince. talking about reincarnation and they've always been somebody famous they've never been nobody you know no, so exactly. oh, yeah, I used to be Cleopatra's you know yeah, right, Cleop right hand man or something and you go well how about I you were just nobody asp. yeah exactly yeah. how about you just filled the bath up with milk or something I don't know yeah, exactly. but they, they always want to be something important yeah everybody wants to be something important yeah luckily we are something important there we go and that's why that's we're all it. sitting here well this is a delight to meet you and uh, what you got any projects coming up apart from uh, ancestry.co.uk yeah I've got a series on the BBC called Pitching In that's a sort of okay. afternoon television thing about right. a, a, the romantic life of an old geezer living on a caravan park right. in Wales. Well, daytime TV is the big thing now. I was reading the other day that daytime TV is massively coming yeah, back. Yeah, Loads yeah. of people are watching it. And also, they, they do it in the afternoon, see how it goes, and if it's good, they bump it on into the evening. Right. So, okay. you know, there's always that, just a bit cheaper to do it in the watch afternoon. Watch it die on the, on the vine. Yeah, well, not this one. This not this one. Vine. No, okay. Oh, no, all right. it's all ready to go. Me and, and Hayley Mills, uh, you're mate. You're doing some football on BT Sport, right? Uh, yeah, that's long gone. Oh, is it? That's long gone, yeah. Oh, okay. What are you doing then? Uh, we, Dad and I, have been going out on the road doing these shows where we oh, go okay. around Britain. So we're we're going to do another series of that. Okay. Um, and uh, I've got another show called Fights Camera Action on on Channel Five. Okay. So bits and bobs. Good you know. stuff. Well, lovely to meet you, and lovely, lovely to see to you again, you, and uh, good luck with it all. And come back when you find out where you're really from. Exactly, we'll do. Come back and talk about it. Absolutely, and right. make you jealous. Yeah, you will. <laughs> this is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer.
Laura of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Independent Republic of Mike Graham, you know what to do. 0344 499 1000. Matthew Wright will be here very, very shortly uh, to tell us what's coming up on his show. Uh, right now, though, we're going to talk about something uh, which you probably will not believe, and it is this, right? I got my first job when I was about 14. Uh, I was working in a bakery. Uh, before that, I was an altar boy. I used to get a bit of money for doing people's weddings. This kid, though, seven years of age, mini mogul, uh, his name is Ryan. He's earned a phenomenal $22 million in just one year by reviewing toys on his YouTube channel. It's quite remarkable. What an amazing story. Let's talk to Jasper Hamill, uh, who's the tech and science reporter at Metro. Hello, Jasper. Hello. Nice this is uh, this is a nice little earner, isn't it? Eh? I mean, imagine if you had a seven-year-old kid that was making this kind of money. Well, it's fantastic, for I guess, for him, because the money's being held in trust. But you have to ask yourself, what sort of parent is willing to <laughs> put their kids on the internet and profit to yeah. the tune of uh, $22 million? Um, I, I think you have to ask questions about what sort of mum and dad would be willing to do that. Well, I suppose only in America would be the straight answer to that, right? Uh, well, I'm not sure if the Americans could tolerate a British accent. I guess that's <laughs> part of the kind of the kind of cutesy appeal, isn't it? I mean, if you're a British watcher of these things, which have been viewed, some of the videos have been viewed more than a billion times. Yeah. The, the, the accents and the kind of the sights and the sounds are, are sort of like being waterboarded, really, to be honest. Um, it just wouldn't make any sense to anyone aged over seven, but the kids go absolutely crazy for it because they, right. they, they, they get to see all the toys that they can only dream of having mm. shown off by this perfect little boy who is who is very cute it, it must be said yeah. um and his perfect life so i guess it's a bit like sort of um a bit of property porn for, for children well, it I, is. Guess, I, I mean right the most the most popular video apparently sees ryan opening a giant egg filled with pixar car toys staggeringly it has had 801 nearly 802 million views that's amazing uh, yeah, that, that that is astonishing. I, I I kept thinking, what sort of piece of art has ever been viewed that many times? I mean, if you think of the Mona Lisa, has mm. the Mona Lisa been seen as many times as Ryan's toy reviews? Well, um, I think and this, not, is, why not? this is the bit we don't get about YouTube. I think anybody over the age of about 15 doesn't really get it, you know, because people watch it. Uh, my kids watch it and they'll be quite happy. When they used to be into Minecraft, which is a phase they've passed on through now, they used to quite happily watch people playing Minecraft on YouTube for hours on end. Yeah, you can make a very good living from this. Uh, and there's a, there's a website dedicated to video game streaming called called Twitch. Um, uh-huh. And the top Twitch people make make a, a, lot, a lot of money. Right. Um, and we need to do some. In fact, that's how PewDiePie. PewDiePie is the biggest YouTuber in the world. Yeah. And actually, much more credible, I have to say, than Ryan's toy review. Very clever, very funny man. Um, but that's how he got started. You're basically watching him play computer games and him scream with laughter as he did so. Yeah, I see. There's a uh, British no. gamer in the top five as well called Daniel Middleton. Uh, who specialises in Minecraft. He's been playing on camera for six years. Uh, I think he f- formerly used to work in Tesco's. He's got now a following of 20.7 million uh, who buy his backpacks, his baseball caps, his hoodies, and they go and see him on tour. Yes. Um, something I have to say that has to be noted about this is if you look at the arts and the culture, it's based, dominated by the posh these days. Mm. Um, you know, the, the days of the Beatles coming from nowhere... Uh, and dominating pop culture have kind of gone. Yeah. Actually, on YouTube, you really can come from nowhere. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. If you've got something to say or some yeah. sort of compelling pitch, 
you can you can be anywhere. And PewDiePie, the biggest YouTuber in the world, came from absolutely nowhere, and he commands an audience of more than 70 million subscribers now. It's, it's astonishing um, and and sort of quite inspiringly democratic. I think. Yes. I think that often goes. Well, something unnoticed. something that you probably won't like to hear is that there's another story today about a mother who's turned her one-year-old son into one of Britain's youngest stars on Instagram. Stacey Woodham's son, Ralphie has earned thousands of pounds modelling on Instagram. It's got so bad, right, she doesn't allow any members of her family to post any pictures of the kid uh, unless she's already posted them on Instagram and made money out of them. Well, I think that's absolutely brutal. Oh, um, I, I've got two children myself, and, and, and uh, you've got a bit of a minor scoop here because I've actually never mentioned them in public. I've never mentioned them on Twitter. <laughs> I've never mentioned them in the paper. I've never mentioned them anywhere. And I don't think... I think parents have a duty to protect their children from the internet because goodness knows who's watching. Goodness knows how their image will be used in future. I don't mean to sound like well, exactly. a old square. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same. I don't use my kids in any form of, of, uh, of promotion. But given the fact that I could be making millions, I think I'm going to have to change my view. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.